Welcome to a very exciting episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. This is a little bit different of an episode than I usually do. I don't think I have ever had a guest on my podcast. And this week, I'm going to talk to you just a little bit about what the most important news is. And then we're going to go right into an interview that I did with John Mueller from Google. Um, In this interview, I asked him a bunch of questions about manual actions, about link quality, about how Google assesses quality quality of websites. And uh, John gave some really, really great answers. And so um, stay tuned for that. And uh, I think you'll really, really enjoy it. The big news this week that came out uh, regarding Google search is that Google announced something called Core Web Vitals. Uh, They told us that this is going to be a ranking factor. And so that's something that we should pay attention to. Um, Core Web Vitals, what you need to know is that it's primarily about user experience. They look at things uh, Google's going to be looking at things like how long it takes for content to start to appear on the page and whether content on mobile uh, flips around. We've all had those times where you go to click on or tap on something on mobile and you end up accidentally tapping on an ad because the content shifted. Those are some things that Google's going to start to measure now. What you need to know is that it's not live yet. They have said they're going to give us a good six months before they tell us it's actually live and it'll be sometime next year. So that gives us a lot of time to start working on our websites. Uh, One of my co-workers, Callum Scott, has written a very, very good article that you can find on our website. We just published it today that kind of breaks it down into layman's terms, uh, what Google is looking at and what types of things you want to improve on your website. Uh, So I think you'll find that uh, very, very helpful. The other big news this week is that Google announced uh, just yesterday, so that was when, or Tuesday, June 2nd, that they had another issue with indexing. This has happened a few times over the years and apparently starting at 7 7.30 yesterday morning, uh, I don't know what time zone. So at some point yesterday, um, Google started uh, having issues where things were dropping out of the index again. So if you have noted that um, your traffic is down this week, then uh, it may be that Google, um, apparently what was happening was they were actually showing old search results. And I don't know how old, but that's bound to affect your traffic. Uh, we've written about this in our uh, post on Al Algo updates, although it's not officially an algo update, it could make your traffic look a little bit wonky uh, this week. Um, speaking of which, uh, we think that Google maybe made some tweaks to the May core update in the last week. We had quite a few sites that saw changes, uh, either further increases, further decreases for some. Um, the thing is that there's so much going on in the world right now with people um, protesting and riots and the concerns over racial injustice, um, and a lot of the world's search traffic has, their patterns have changed. So whether these traffic changes are because Google made a change to their algorithms, because Google dropped a good chunk of their index um, and lost it, or because the world's search patterns are changing, it's hard to say. So at this point, we haven't done a thorough investigation of this, but know that if your traffic is a little bit off uh, over the last week or so, then there's multiple reasons as to why that could happen. That's all I'm going to say for this week. If you want the rest of the search news, you can find the newsletter at mariehaines.com slash newsletter. And uh, as always, I wish you the best of luck with your rankings. And now we'll get on to the conversation with John. So welcome to a very special episode of Search News You Can Use. And I'm Dr. Marie Haynes, and I have my first ever guest on the podcast, John Mueller from Google. 
Welcome, John. Ooh, great to be here, Marie. So John, um, tell me, uh, I think we all know that you're a webmaster trends analyst at Google. Um, how long have you been with Google now? Oh boy, um, what is it? 12, 13 years, something like that. Really? So I first, my first introduction to SEO was in the old, do you remember the SEO chat forums? I don't know if you were a part of those, but that was back sort of 2008-ish or so. And then at some point, I started watching your Google Help Hangout videos. Um, so that, was that, did you start those shortly after you joined Google? Um, let's see, I, I don't know when, when exactly we started that. I think, I think that came pretty much when, when Google Plus came up. Uh, so as soon as kind of the, the whole setup was there that you could do these kind of public hangouts and ask people to join in and all of that, then that's kind of where, where we started doing those to kind of try things out and see what works, what doesn't work. Gotcha. And gotcha. And so first of all, I want to say thank you for, I mean, from the whole SEO community that you have gone above and beyond over the years. And I, I don't know how you do it with, you know, I was going to start off with our first question being something about folders versus subdomains or, uh, you know, but I'm not, I'm not, you've, you've covered that so much. And so um, I can't imagine what it's like as, you know, every word you say, we as, you know, the SEO community will, will jump on it and, and say, well, this is what Google says. And, and um, it must be very hard to, you know, have every one of your words uh, analyzed. And, and here we go again. We're going to be asking you a bunch of questions to, to analyze. Um, I think we'll just jump right in with the questions and, uh, and we'll see where things go. Um, so, and at any point, you know, if you want to jump in and add something, uh, anything, that you want to say would be, be so helpful to us. Uh, I want to start off with a fun question and ask you, so what's the deal with bananas and cheese? Bananas and cheese. Well, I, I guess cheese is kind of the obvious one. It's like in, in Switzerland, there's lots of cheese. Um, so that's, I, I don't know, that's, that's kind of the, the easy part there. Um, I think that one tweet that started everything um, where from my account, it was like, I love cheese. I don't know that, that tweet. Yes. Uh, that was actually made by Gary. So it's not, not my fault. I don't know. I, I went to get a coffee or something, and Gary was like, oh, Twitter is open. So off, off he went and tried to post something, um, probably trying to find something that wouldn't get him fired. So It could have that, been much worse, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, that that was pretty good. And bananas is, I don't know, it, it's more random in that uh, I was looking for something to try out with Google Trends and just, I don't know, bananas, just like the first word that came to mind. And then I started receiving all these emails like Google Trends for bananas are going up or trends going down. <laughs> it's like, well, okay. <laughs> that's fantastic. So do you, st do you still get the emails about the trends of bananas these yeah. days? That's fantastic. Yeah. That's great. 
That's good. Well, let's, um, some of the questions, uh, the way that we came up with our questions was I have a whole team that works with me and, and my team actually trains on your help hangout videos. Uh, so they watch them and, and, you know, something will come up and, and, you know, you'll talk about a canonical tag and my team, my new trainees will say, well, what is that? You know, and so we'll start talking about those things. Um, and so uh, a lot of my team have come up with questions and then some of our listeners to my podcast have uh, sent us questions as well. Um, let's talk about uh, nofollow. And Google uh, announced last year that there were some changes coming to how you could use nofollow. Uh, I believe they, you know, at that time you gave us the Reliquals sponsored and Reliquals UGC. I feel like there's a little bit of confusion um, about how Google could use nofollowed links. And uh, part of the confusion is um, what people ask me often is if somebody has pointed spammy links at me in an attempt for negative SEO, um, like comment spam, things like that, and they're all no followed links, can those no followed links ever be used as signals for Google? Well, we don't use them in a negative way. So it's something where if, if we can use them to discover some new content, then that's something where, where I believe we, we try to use that. But it's not the case that we would say, well, these are normal links on the web. We will count them at full weight. And if they're bad links, they will count against you, that kind of thing. So if, if these are links out there that you don't want associated with your site and they're with a nofollow, that's perfectly fine. A lot of the ads on, on the internet are also with nofollow. That's something where we wouldn't see that as a paid link just because we, we now understand nofollow links a little bit better. Okay, and that makes sense. So I think one of the concerns, uh, a question that a lot of people have asked me is whether they should disavow because there's a massive number of nofollowed links and that the, you know, the scale could tip something off. And we've always maintained that uh, there's no point in disavowing a nofollowed link because the whole point of disavowing is to tell Google, like, I don't want to pass these signals. Um, uh, so I think that makes sense, right? We're on the, the yeah. right track. There. Yeah, okay. definitely no need to disavow. Okay, fantastic. Um, this is a question that we talked about uh, the first and only time we've met in person, actually, at, uh, uh, in New York City in the uh, Google offices. And I, I would love for uh, you to, us to just revisit it because um, I think that there's still so much confusion about who should be using the disavow tool. And, um, you know, is, so the main question then is, we know that the disavow tool is there if you have a manual action and we try to remove unnatural links and the ones we can't get removed, we put them into the disavow tool. Is there, and the, the thing we talked about before was, is there ever a reason for a site that does not have a manual action to use the disavow tool? Um, so let's start with that perhaps. Now, I, I think there, there are two, two times when it would make sense to, to perhaps use a disavow tool. Uh, on the one hand, if when you look at the links to your site, you're pretty certain that you will get a manual action soon. So for example, if a, if a previous SEO was doing all kinds of weird things with regards to links to your site, if they were uh, off buying links, doing guest posting, kind of all of the, the usual things uh, where we'd say this is against the guidelines. And if you haven't received a manual action for that yet, then that's something where if if you go and look at a site like that and you see all of this, then that seems like something where you'd want to proactively clean that. So essentially, the, the kind of activities that you would do when you receive a manual action, 
kind of do that proactively ahead of time so that you don't even run into this, this kind of whole manual action process. And uh, that's something where every, every now and then I'll run across people like that, where they, maybe they'll come into one of the office hour hangouts, or I'll see them posting on Twitter or in the help forums, where if you look at their links, you can tell, well, they've been doing a lot of things they probably shouldn't have done. And it's, it's unclear if they did that themselves, or maybe they hired an SEO to do that. It, it doesn't really matter. That's kind of like their site. And uh, maybe they don't have a manual action yet, but you would assume that if the UED web spam team ran, ran across that site, they would probably take action on it. Okay. So that's and kind of the thing where I'd say, like, you can take care of that yourself with a disavow by cleaning up the links as much as you can. That's, I, I think, the, the obvious one. Uh, the other one, is more along the lines of if you're really unsure what Google's algorithms will do. Um, because we, we do try to ignore a lot of the, the spammy links out there. We do try to ignore a lot of the, the random links that are dropped in the forums, which are sometimes just automatically dropped in all kinds of places. And if you're really unsure if Google's algorithms are going to ignore those, then you can just put them in a disavow file and be kind of like, well, I, I did what, what I could do. I, at least I don't have to worry about this. Right. And so um, disavowing is a prevention for a manual action. That, that makes sense, right? I mean, if we look at a link profile that is very overtly uh, against Google's guidelines and we say, oh, my goodness, if the web spam team looked at this, like, this would be scary, you know, we, we should probably disavow. I think the confusion is what you mentioned about Google's algorithms. And I understand that there's, you know, there's certain things that, you can't share for, for obvious reasons. Um, we have had cases where we really do feel that we filed the disavow, the, the site did not have a, a manual action, and then at some point, either you know, a few weeks or maybe even a couple of months afterwards, the site starts to see an increase in traffic. Um, and our thought was, as we talked about in, in New York City, was uh, that Google's algorithms um, might have less trust in their link profile and uh, the disavow sort of improved that trust and, and they saw benefits. Um, so I think the main, and I, again, I don't know, I know I can understand if you can't answer this, but um, so we know we can disavow preventatively to prevent getting a manual action, but can a webmaster potentially see improvements in uh, Google rankings, Google traffic uh, from disavowing even if they don't have a manual action? I, I think that would be really um, so I could theoretically imagine a situation where our algorithms are really upset about the links to the site. And by disavowing, you, you might clean that up. But it's something where essentially it would be a very similar situation to if a web spam uh, team member looked at the site. Uh, so just because there are some random links out there and you're kind of cleaning things up and you're focusing on the links that you know are good, I. I wouldn't expect to see any change in, in a site's visibility and search from something like that. So that's something where my guess is most likely you're seeing the effects of some other things that are happening in search, which could okay. be algorithm updates, maybe changes in the ecosystem in general, all of the, the usual things that can go up and down in search. That makes sense. And it, it's always hard to test anything in SEO, right? Because something we changed today, it's not like we're going to make no changes for the rest of the, the month or something, right? So um, 
I'd like to ask you about, uh, there's a case that we have now, we're dealing with a manual action uh, for a client who came to us uh, with a manual action for unnatural links. And I think, you know, back when I first started helping people with unnatural links, it was really easy that we could say, oh, there's these, you know, spammy directories from PageRankRUsDirectory.com or something, you know, those were super obvious. And I feel like the types of unnatural links now that uh, cause manual actions are ones that um, actually could move the needle for sites, right? They're, they're ones that were working and Google's algorithms weren't handling them or whatever. And so the web spam team's given a manual action. This particular client of ours, um, most of the links that they've made are in articles. Um, and they're in articles in relatively authoritative places, like places that they're not ultra spammy articles. Um, but, and we can see when we look at them that like they're very clearly made for SEO, but they are articles that people would read. Um, and one of the struggles that we're having with communicating with this client is that they're still rank ranking really well for their, their main keywords. So we've come in and said, look, uh, there's this list of hundreds of links that we know you made for SEO. You have a manual action and we want you to uh, start removing those or disavowing if you can't. Um, and they're saying, well, we're ranking for all of these terms. Why would we want to do that? Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Is there any advice you can give us on that situation? I mean, those are essentially guest posts where if they create the articles and they include a link to their site in there, then that's something where the, the web spam team would say, well, this is against their guidelines. Um, with regards to them still ranking for those keywords, I, I guess it's kind of hard to say because I, I mean, I don't know the, the situation there. Um, but it, it is something where if there's a manual action, my general advice would always be to try to get that cleaned up as much as possible and not to kind of leave it there because it's not bad enough kind of, mm -hmm. kind of thing. So that's, that's kind of the, the place where I, I try to clean that up. If you're seeing that people are reading those articles and clicking through to your site, then put a no follow on those links. That's just as useful for traffic to your site. And at the same time, really helps to show the web spam team that, okay, you understood that this was problematic. You, you put the no follow there, you put them in disavow where you couldn't do that and uh, helps them to say, okay, we, we can let the site like, be, be completely um, kind of natural in search. Okay. And I think that's some of the struggle sometimes is a site that has, uh, you know, some fairly good natural links combined with a site that's done, I don't, don't want to say high level link building, but link building in ways that, you know, some of those are good. Like it's, it's not always against, it's not always wrong to ask for a link, right? It's, it's, perfectly okay but um it and scale can be hard right like maybe it was good when you had five of these links but now that you've got 500 it's not so good um one of the things that i think is confusing to a lot of people is when we look at google's guidelines on link schemes um they're a little bit vague on links and articles and uh, so it says in the guidelines, large scale article marketing or guest posting campaigns with keyword rich anchor text links. And what we're finding is that um, often these days, the manual actions that we're getting, they're not the example links that Google sends us, they're not always keyword anchored. Um, and I think uh, it's not clear to a lot of people um, that an unnatural link can still be unnatural even if the anchor is not a keyword. That's correct, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean 
ultimately a link is a link. It, it can pass uh, signals to the other side. And that's kind of what, what the Web 17 is watching out for. Okay. Yeah. And I, uh, so that's something that we've, because we always try to point out, look, we call this unnatural because Google's link schemes say this. Um, and most of the links that we've been getting back as example links these days are links in articles. They're not all necessarily guest posts. They're, you know, hey, I wrote this content and you need content. So let me give it to you. I'm, there's no money involved. And oh, by the way, there's a link to my client's site in it. No. So those are unnatural, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. And that's, that's, that's a, a struggle that I think a lot of SEO companies uh, struggle with. That as long as we don't use keyword anchors, we're good. And I, I feel like that's a risk. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, we'll, we will get off of manual actions in a minute, but we did have a lot of questions on this. Uh, we felt that there, can you tell us if there was a delay in responding to manual actions because of the pandemic? Um, I don't know so much about a delay, but it, it was a lot slower than usual. Do you so, know if it's, uh, oh, we've been getting some responses now. Do you know if you're back on track? Um, so yesterday, some of the folks on the website team double checked to, to make sure that, that I don't say anything crazy. <laughs> and it seems that, that they're pretty much on track. I mean, there's, there's always a certain amount of time that it takes to manually review these. And uh, for the most part, we, we do try to manually review them um, to try to make this process a little bit faster. One of the things that the web spam team is looking into doing is, is trying to find ways to automate this. So in yeah. particular, if a site is hacked, then that's something where we, we can kind of automatically try to figure out, is the site still hacked after reconsideration request? And if our algorithms are pretty sure that this is resolved, then we can just let that go. And that, kind of frees up some time for the, the rest of the manual actions team to work through the, the cues of the things that they get. That makes sense. Um, are you able to tell us, I know that uh, you've mentioned that all manual actions are reviewed by humans. Um, and, uh, and that makes sense for hacking situations that maybe you want to uh, use a machine to, to do that. Um, can you tell us anything about the review process? Like, is it a web spam team member that does the review for the manual action? Um, is it a two-step process that, you know, somebody sees like, oh, they're making some steps here. Let's pass that on to a senior member. Is there anything you can share with us about that? Um, it, it kind of depends on the, the size and the complexity of the issue. So if there's something that's, that's affecting a large part of the web, or if it's something that's particularly complex or something where, it's kind of borderline and it depends on how you look at it. Then that's the kind of situation where the web spam team will often pull in other people to try to get a second opinion for it. And uh, I, th I think in general, that makes sense. It's something that we also try to do when, when a second reconsideration request comes in, that it's not always the same person looking at the same site and saying, well, they, they didn't change much. Whereas if someone else were to look at it, then they might say, well, actually, this is far enough uh, with regards to what we would expect them to do. Sometimes it's, it's kind of hard to draw that line because when you're looking at it manually, uh, there, there are definitely some things where you can say, well, this is, this is a clear line where we can say, well, everything above this has to be accepted and everything below it has to be rejected. Uh, but there are a lot of cases, uh, for example, with links or with low quality content where you kind of say, well, they did a significant amount of work 
but how do you quantify them? That's is re not really possible to say is like, they did 17% of what they should have. Like you can't come up with a number. Right. I feel like, like what we tell our clients is the goal is to convince the web spam team that you understand the problem and that you're moving on, you know, you're not doing the same yeah. thing. Um, but that can be challenging uh, sometimes, especially again, for these sites that have like a real mixture of, well, this was from this SEO effort and this SEO effort, maybe we took too far and uh, it can be really hard sometimes to, uh, to get these things removed. But, but I do tell people that sometimes it's good to get one because then you know that these are the issues, you know, you know that you have to move forward and, and uh, move on to more, to better ways to get links or whatever. Yeah. Um, We'll move on to you to another fun topic is thin content, which has been something that you know we've we've uh, gone back and forth on as SEOs over the years. I'm going to read this question out because it's uh, one that I believe came from my team. You've mentioned in the past that when Google assesses site quality, they take into account all indexed pages. So if there's a large site with a hundred thousand plus pages indexed, and over time many of those pages become no longer relevant or are already thin would no indexing or redirecting to reduce the count of pages, increase Google's perception of quality, and flow through to increased rankings, again, with UX staying the same? Yeah, I, I think what, what I see a lot there with, with this kind of question is that uh, people sometimes see uh, all pages as being equal, uh, whereas from, from our point of view, thing, things are very, different with regards to how important a page is for a website. Uh, so that's something where it's really hard to say, well, you've removed 1,000 pages, therefore the other 90,000 pages are good. Um, so one, one example might be you have, I don't know, a concert venue or some, some event site. And assuming everyone goes back to concerts, uh, which I, I'm sure will happen at some point, um, but you, you might have this, this site and you have some really well-known artists there. You have some really good content on those concerts there. And you also have a, an event calendar where you can essentially click through to the year 9,999. And uh, most of those days are going to be empty. So looking at something like that, you might have hundreds of thousands of really empty pages and a handful of really good pages. And just because you have hundreds of thousands of low quality thin pages doesn't necessarily mean that 90% of your website is bad and you have to clean that up. Uh, because what will happen on our side is we'll try to figure out what are the important pages for this website and we'll try to focus on those. And those are probably the, the current concerts or whatever is, is currently happening there. And even though you have all of these other thin content pages, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that your website is kind of averaged out to something that is kind of mediocre. Uh, so from, from that point of view, it, it doesn't make sense to look at the absolute numbers, but rather to think about like what, what is important content for your site and is that content actually high quality? Okay, so that's really interesting because we've always maintained that uh, a site that has, say their CMS makes uh, these random image pages and they get into the index. Um, and so Google should just ignore those, right? In terms of quality for the site. Um, it's not like removing, like let's say 90% of the index pages were these random things that shouldn't have gotten into the index. Can removing those from the index improve Google's assessment of quality for the rest of your site? Um, 
I, I don't know. It, a lot of times, like if, if it's something that we would ignore already, then I don't think that would make any difference. The, the main difference that would make is with regards to crawling uh, of the website and being able to find kind of the new and updated content a little bit faster. Where if we get stuck in an infinite calendar, then we, we go off and spend a lot of time there because Googlebot is very patient. But that's not content that you really need to have crawled for your website. Right. So that's okay. kind of the, I think, the primary part there. I think there, there is room for kind of this, this middle ground, though. Uh, not necessarily all of the things that are completely useless, but s some middle ground area where you see, well, these are pages that are getting a lot of traffic from search. But when I look at them, they're really pages I don't want to be known for. Okay. So it's almost like I can recognize that Google's algorithms think that these are important pages, but actually they're not important pages for me. And if you're in that situation, that's the kind of thing where you can take action on. So mm -hmm. not necessarily looking at the absolute number of pages that you have, but really these are the pages that are getting traffic from search. And these are the ones that I want Google to focus on. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I'll try to get rid of these that, that are less important or maybe to improve them or something like that. What about a situation with a smaller website that like maybe, I mean, years ago, businesses were told to blog every day, right? And there's a lot of people that have very poor quality blogs because they were like, here's my coffee today. You know, here's something, here's the bananas. <laughs> and John got an alert about it. Um, things that, you know, maybe didn't need to be in the index. Um, and then let's say, you know, starting this year, I kind of got my head in the game and said, oh, everything I put in my blog needs to be the best of its kind. Um, could that improve Google's assessment of quality for my site overall if I went back and no-indexed some of those blog posts that nobody cared about? Or does Google just keep that in mind and just focus on the, the new stuff? I, I don't think that would make a significant difference. Uh, especially if you do have this significant chunk of really good content, if you're starting to put new content out there, then I don't think no indexing the, the older content would, would play a big difference. That's similar, I guess, to, to a newspaper site where you put out, I don't know, maybe 20 articles a day, and uh, 19 of those articles are things that after a week will be irrelevant. And it doesn't mean that those 19 articles are things that you should automatically no index at some point, but rather maybe move them to an archive section where they're less empathized for, for users and for search. Um, but you, you can still keep them. It's not okay. that we're saying, like, well, suddenly this is something bad that you need to get rid of and clean up. OK. OK, that, that makes sense. Um, can you give us any tips on how Google makes a qualitative assessment uh, as to what type of content could be considered high quality? Um, does, I mean, is Google using BERT now to uh, better understand whether content is good? Um, so I, I don't really have a lot of insight into how we determine when, when things are high quality content. Uh, but I, I guess the, the one thing where, where people sometimes get thrown off is with regards to, to BERT, kind of the, the BERT algorithms. Uh, all of those things, those are essentially algorithms to try to understand content better. So it's not so much to understand the quality of the content, but more to understand what is this content about, what is this sentence about, what is this, this query about, uh, to figure out what, what are the, the different entities that might be involved here and how, how are they being tied in here. 
where that kind of overlaps into the content quality side is when you're writing in such a way that it's essentially impossible to understand what, what it is that you're trying to say. And uh, that's the kind of situation where the BERT algorithms might say, well, I, I really don't know what, what it is that they're trying to say. And it's not so much that the, the BERT algorithm is making an assumption saying, well, this is low quality content, but it's more like, I, I just don't know what to do. Okay. And sometimes I, I suspect, I, I haven't seen this firsthand or tried it out with, with any, any, uh, any pages, but I suspect some of the old school SEO writing kind of falls into that. Right. Where it's like you're just swapping in all of the synonyms that you can possibly add to a sentence. And as a human, when you read that, you're like, like this, is, this is just totally over the top. And I can imagine that our algorithms are like, well, this doesn't read like a natural sentence. I don't quite know where to emphasize. It's like, is this really about this, this subject or is it about a slightly different subject? What, what is the, the primary element from this sentence okay. or this paragraph? And is that something that could be, um, how do I word this, seen as a, a negative? Like for example, if we have um, uh, an e-commerce site that has a product page and you often see at the bottom of the page, this we call it SEO copy. That's, you know, it, 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 like you said, it's written for search engines and, and it's just a big block of text that contains a bunch of keywords and no human's ever actually going to read it. Um, so the way I'm thinking of, of Bert trying to, you know, figure out if this query matches this page, you know, maybe Bert just struggles and says, well, this is not relevant or whatever. Or could it, can, could Google treat that as a negative to say, oh, this looks like this page is SEO'd. These keywords are here for, for Google and make that a, an actual detriment to the page. Um, I've, I've seen a few cases where that happens, but it's usually along the lines of keyword stuffing. So not so much like they're, they're writing like a, a Wikipedia article on the subject and putting it on the bottom of a shoe page, uh, but more that they're just adding thousands of, of variations of the same keywords to a page. And then our keyword stuffing algorithm might kick in and say, well, actually, this looks like keyword stuffing. Maybe we should be a little bit more cautious with regards to how we rank this individual page. I see. Uh, so it's not, not that Bert is confused, and therefore, if our algorithms are confused, then we will say the page is bad. Because our, our algorithms are always confused. There's always <laughs> something on the web that's confusing. Uh, so it, it would be bad to say just because something is confusing, it's, it's low quality. That makes sense. Uh, that makes sense. But, but I guess with, with regards to BERT, one of the things that, that could be done, because a lot of these algorithms are open source, uh, there's a lot of documentation, reference material around them, is to, to try things out and to take some of this SEO text and throw it into one of these algorithms and see, does, does like the, the primary content get pulled out? Are the entities able to be mm -hmm. recognized properly? And it's not one-to-one -one the same as, as we would do it because I'm, I'm pretty sure that our algorithms are maybe based on similar ideas but probably tuned differently. Uh, but it, it can give you some insight into is this written in such a way that it's actually too confusing for, for a system to, to understand what it is that they're writing about. Okay, so you're saying take the text, put it into a natural language processor and see, you know, can the, the tool figure out, oh, this page is about this, 
And if not, then maybe we need to rewrite it because if the tool can't figure it out, like humans probably find it boring or don't want to read I, it. I, I don't think that would be feasible on, on a day-by-day -day basis, For but sure. it might be an ex interesting experiment. Okay. Uh, just to, to kind of take some of those old school SEO text things and throw them into these modern algorithms and see, does, does it still figure out what, it, what this page is about? And what is the difference if I rewrite this Wikipedia article into maybe a two-sentence two summary that might be readable by a user, would the algorithm still figure out what the same, uh, kind of, that it's about the same thing? So rather than having that you know, SEO text at the end of a, a, an e-commerce page, do you have recommendations? Uh, I mean, there's some obvious things that what users would want, um, but are there certain things that um, would be helpful in terms of what Google would want to see on an e-commerce page that you can share with us? Um, it's, it's hard to say. The, the one thing that, that I noticed in talking with uh, the mobile indexing folks is that uh, when, when article or when, especially these e-commerce category pages don't have any other content at all other than links to the products, then it's really hard for us to rank those pages. So I'm not saying all of that text on the bottom of your page is bad, but maybe 90%, 95% of that text is un unnecessary, but some, some amount of text is kind of useful to have on, on a page so that we can understand what mm -hmm. this page is about. And at that point, you're probably with the amount of text that a user would be able to read as well, be able to understand as well. Uh, so that's kind of where, where I would head in, in that regard. Uh, the other thing where I, I could imagine that our algorithms sometimes get confused is when they have a list of products on top and essentially a giant article on the bottom. Uh, when our algorithms have to figure out what is the intent of this page. Is this right. something that is meant for commercial intent or is this informational page? What is, what is kind of the primary reason for this page to exist? And I could imagine that our algorithms sometimes get, get confused by this big chunk of text where we'd say, oh, it's, it's an informational page about shoes. Uh, but I can tell the user is trying to buy shoes, so I wouldn't send them to this informational page. Okay, and that's, that seems to be, so Bert, um, is Bert used to understand the query as well? Um, Do you know? We, yeah, so, so we use the, these algorithms essentially to understand text, and that comes in through the query, that comes in on the pages themselves. Okay, and, um, I know this has been uh, hinted at before. Uh, I can't remember where. Oh, it was the Bay Area search. I think Gary said something that got me thinking on this. Are most search results, um, you mentioned like Google wants to determine, oh, that person wants to buy this. Uh, are there a certain number of spaces? Like if Google has figured out, oh, this is probably a commercial query, then we want to rank like only sites that seem to be transactional? Or do you say, well, let's, let's throw in a couple of informational ones? Or am I just simplifying things too much? Um, I, I think you, you would see some amount of mix there, there naturally, uh, where our algorithms tend not to be completely on or off, where we'd say, well, this is clearly kind of uh, commercial in nature, and therefore we would only show commercial pages. Uh, because we, we just don't know for sure what, what it is that the user is searching for. Uh, that's something where I think something like 10, 15% of all queries every day are still new. Uh, so these are things where we, 
even if we wanted to manually classify all of these queries and say this is clearly someone trying to buy shoes, uh, that's something we would never be able to do because people come and ask us in, in different ways all the time. Uh, so that's something where I, I suspect our algorithms will try to say, well, probably it's, it's this, or very, very likely it's this. Therefore, we'll try to include uh, in a search results page maybe, I don't know, 80% like this and a little bit else just to, to cover those other variables. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, let's, uh, let's have another great subject that is fun to talk about, doorway pages. Um, sometimes a lot, a lot of websites struggle with um, location pages. So like, let's say a client came to us and they had a site that, uh, or a business that serviced 50 to 100 cities um, in, their, in their radius. And what tends to happen is their location pages, um, they're unique in terms of words, uh, but really like for the user, they, they could be all the same page. Like the business, the services of the business are the same no matter what city. Um, can that, can it ever, like, is it within Google's guidelines for me to have 50 different city pages? Is there a better way to do it? Yeah. I mean, a lot of times these tend to go into the doorway direction and tend to end up being quite low quality. And that's, I'd say almost the, the quality aspect is almost the bigger the bigger issue there in that you have all of these pages on your site and you're saying, well, these are really important for my site, but at the same time, they're essentially terrible pages where like you, you wouldn't be able to send a user there and say, well, you're in this city, therefore this page mentions your city name and the service that you're looking for. We, we should show that to you. So that's something where from, from that point of view, I try to discourage that. Um, obviously, if you have locations in individual cities, and sometimes you, you have those, those addresses on separate pages with separate opening hours, all of that. Um, if you, another option is, of course, to kind of list those different addresses on a, on a single page, maybe by region, maybe with, with a map, a dynamic map, something like that. Um, but otherwise, I, I think it's, it's really kind of tricky where if you're saying, well, I don't really have locations in these cities, but anyone from any of these cities is welcome to call me up, then making individual pages for all of those cities feels kind of, mm -hmm. kind of tricky. And I, I realize sometimes these sites rank, and sometimes these kind of pages rank well, but it is something where I could imagine the, the search quality team saying, well, we, we need to figure out a way to deal with this better. Okay. Do you give many penalties or uh, manual actions for uh, doorway pages these days? It's been a while since I've seen I one. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. No, it's been, uh, gosh, it's should been we... a long time. Yeah. Maybe, no, I'm not telling you should. I'll make enemies. <laughs> <laughs> if all of a sudden people start getting, uh, the, I think they fell under thin content, right? Those were usually thin content penalties. Um, yeah, yeah. It's not my yeah. fault. <laughs> if it happens. Um, this is a subscriber question. I'll, I'm going to shorten it down because it's a long one, but it's about, uh, this person has a site that's YMYL and it competes with major brands and government websites, so .gov websites. Um, and something that we really noticed lately is, is Google, for a lot of YMYL queries, are really, really um, favoring authoritative sites, right? So this person is saying that their, their content is better. I mean, that's subjective, but their content is better. Uh, uh, 
solves the user query better, great videos, optimized to the fullest. And there's, they want to know, is there any, and I know this is hard because you haven't seen the site. I haven't seen the site. Um, is it ever possible to outrank uh, a giant authoritative website for a YMYL query? Sure. I mean, it's, it's possible to, to outrank these sites. It's not that the, any of these search results positions are hard-coded and they can never change. Uh, so that's something where I'd say it's, it's certainly possible, but uh, depending on the topic, depending on the competition, it's, it can get hard. So I, I wouldn't expect that to be something where you can just throw together a website, make some really nice-looking pages, um, have someone write some really good content for your page, and to, to automatically have that rank uh, above kind of these authoritative sites, especially on topics where it's, it's kind of important that we make sure that we're providing high-quality, correct information to people. So technically, it's possible. Kind of waiting it out is something I personally wouldn't recommend in, in cases like this. Obviously, you, you need to continue working on your site. It's not something where you can just like say, OK, I'll wait until my site is 10 years old. Then it'll be just as good as these other 10-year-old sites. That's, that's not the way that it happens. You have to kind of keep at it all the time. And the other thing to keep in mind is that if, if these are really good, good websites, then generally speaking, you, you'd expect to see some traffic from other sources as well. So obviously, search is a big source of traffic. But there are lots of other places where you can also get traffic. And that's something where kind of combining all of that and kind of continuing working on your website, focusing maybe on, on other traffic sources, if that's, that's something that you can do, and kind of growing out from there. But it's not that we would never rank these sites for these kind of queries, but it will be really hard. You really, really have to prove that what you're providing is something of equal quality, equal relevance, equal correctness as maybe an official government website, which depending on the government website might be hard, might be a little bit easier. Uh, it feels like government websites are generally getting better and better. So like that competition is not going to get less. Yeah, I think in the past, a lot of the time we'd say, oh, this .gov site page is ranking, but it's horrible. So if I can you know, create something better, then I can maybe outrank it. Um, is this... I don't even know how to ask the question then, um, connected to EAT? Like, let, let's say I um, wanted to, I went on a particular type of diet or something, and, and it worked really well for me, and I wanted to create a website about uh, this diet. Um, but the people who are ranking on the first page are the Mayo Clinic and, and you know, uh, some government uh, authoritative site. Can you give me any, any tips on, I mean, what, types of things would have to happen. Let's say I was a multimillionaire and I had access to any resource. What would it take for me to be able to, uh, to compete with websites that are authorities like that? I don't know. I, I don't have any magic bullet where you can just say, like, be on national TV or be listed in, in the Wikipedia or something like that. Um, it's, it's really hard to say. And can, can I get it, it? It depends. It depends. Okay, <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, no. I mean, I, I like even if I knew the specific situation, 
it wouldn't be something where I'd be say, able to say, oh, you just need to tweak this one factor here and, I don't know, buy some gold-plated network cables and then you're all set. <laughs> uh, understandable. Yeah. And that was a bit of an unfair question. I, I think I ask it because people do that all the time. You know, people come to us and say like, hey, I want to dominate this and I've got investors and, you know, and it, I think in the past, if you had enough money, you know, you could buy links that would, would trick Google. And, um, and, uh, and so we're, we're trying to essentially tell people like, you can't be the biggest authority unless you're the biggest authority, you know, um, and that's a, that's a struggle. There's something SEO can't generally always fix, right? Um, we're we're going to uh, wrap it up soon. This was an interesting one. We have a client whose site is used in the quality raters guidelines um, as an example of a low quality site. And it's a screenshot from many years ago and they've changed. They've actually, you know, they've, they've, the page is way better now. Um, they wanted me to ask you, is there anything they can do to appeal to Google to be taken out? Because it's not good for their brand. Uh, any thoughts on that? I, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to pass something on if you if you have some examples uh, of, of things like that. But in general, the, the quality rater guidelines are not meant to be uh, kind of absolute in the sense that this particular URL you should be rating like this, but rather this this kind of problem should be rated like this. Uh, when it comes to kind of the, the general quality rater setup where we're trying to figure out what, what are the best algorithms to use with regards to search ranking. So it's not something where I, I generally say that like just because we have that particular site there doesn't mean that people should be watching out for that particular site and then taking this action, but rather mm -hmm. it's like this is a really obvious example of this one particular case and this is the kind of situation you need to watch out for and not this is the exact URL that you need to watch out for. For sure. But, and I, I think maybe uh, there are yeah. like alternatives that we could use in, in a case like that. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to pass that on to you. In all honesty, I, I hesitated to ask you that question because um, I don't want Google to take away those examples. There's a, there's a lot to be learned from, uh, you know, what you point out as high quality and, and potentially low quality. So, but I can see as well, I, I would be quite upset if, you know, people were using my, uh, my site as like, oh, Google says your site is low quality. Never mind, that was something 10 years ago or whatever, but um, fair enough. Well, uh, so John, I hear you have your own podcast coming out soon. With, uh, we're working on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. tell us about yeah. that. Uh, we we started looking into that I think beginning of the year about and at some point we we got all of the equipment set up in the office and we're like ready to go and we recorded the trailer and all of that went really well and then the office closed and everything went downhill mm -hmm. uh, so that that kind of threw a wrench in the gears there so we we've started to pick that up again and uh, I. I hope we can get uh, like the first episode or two out fairly soon. I don't know what, what the timing is there, uh, but it is something where we, we thought we'd do something a little bit less formal and provide some kind of more, I guess, human look behind the scenes of what's, what's actually going on with nice. regards to Google. Will it be something where we can ask you questions, like, like this sort of thing, or is it more just kind of a fun, light? I don't know. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. We'll, we'll see. see how it evolves. Yeah. And we'll see how uh, challenging it is as we uh, 
we pummel you with questions if that if that's the case, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm I looking mean, forward to it. Yeah, I think it'll be good. It's it's not meant to be a replacement for the alphas so it's not something where it's like question answer question answer kind of thing uh but more where we we realize pe people kind of would like to know what what actually happens behind the scenes at google when they make these kind of decisions mm -hmm. and that's kind of what what we'd like to to bring in there was a video that came out years ago of um i think it was matt cuts in a, a search um meeting where you, you know the whole team was discussing well we could do this and it would it, it would take longer to load and, and and that was fascinating i would love to see more stuff like that what what goes on behind the scenes um yeah just a just a thought uh, is it is it going to be video or i guess you don't know now right or is it podcast like just it's just podcast podcast okay yeah. gotcha all right. Um, was there uh, anything else that you wanted to share with us at, at this point? Or? No, no. Okay. Well, good. John, thank you so much for doing this. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Um, and uh, thank you for being on Twitter uh, and putting up with all of our, our questions and, and the humor, too. Do you know how many times we throw into our Slack channel? Oh, John. <laughs> because you're just you're just such a great guy and it's very oh helpful anyways i'll stop okay. I'm, I'm gonna make you blush uh so thanks again john and uh i hope that everything's going okay for you and uh uh you know at staying at home and all that and um hope to one day see you we were supposed to meet again in uh in munich for smx and uh, that got canceled like a week before we were going to be there so one day i'll see you again sometime <laughs> yeah it'll happen don't worry exactly all right, thank you. Cool. Take Thanks care. Thanks a lot. See you.